OWS fam, Sharp Football Analysis Nation. Welcome back to another installment in the Searching for Ceiling series. As always, I will be joined shortly by the great Lord Reeves, Mr. Rich Rebar. We leave a week nine slate that was the week of the Houston Texans. And we enter a week 10 slate that is the week of the Houston Texans? I don't know, man. Let's dive in. Join us as we search for seeing one week season. There he is, that beautiful human being, Mr. Rich Rebar. How are we doing this week, man? We're doing good. You know, week 10, it's pretty crazy. We're, we're in the back half. They call, they call us the back nine in golf, right? I, are you a golfer? Yeah. Are you in Arizona? I am. I am. Yeah. You probably oh, yeah. are. I, you know, you're in Arizona. You're around. <laughs> The back nine Let's of the go. football season, though, we'll call it. <laughs> yes, we are here. Let's do this. Welcome, welcome, GMs to all in the audience. Thank you again for joining us. As always, you can find Rich over at Sharp Football Analysis. You know the drill by now. Let's jump in, man. I wanted to, well, there, I, I had the intro that I had for the very specific reason of the Houston Texans are once again um, in one of the potential top game environments of the week. That said, we're seeing some ownership kind of congregate around that game uh, mm -hmm. in two very specific spots, but there's still a ton of uncertainty with that game. So let's unpack that a little bit. We have T Higgins who injured his hamstring in Wednesday's practice, likely going to miss this week. We have Jamar Chase who had that ugly fall in full stretch last week, landed on his lower back. I would expect him to carry a, an injury designation going into the weekend, but I will. I do expect him to play. Mm -hmm. We also have on the other side. Have you looked at the Houston Texans injury report, man? Yeah. Goodness gracious, it is everybody. It is everybody. I mean, Derek Stingley's attempting to come back. He was a DNP limited. We have other members of the Houston secondary. Damian Pierce did not practice both days. Nico Collins limited on Wednesday. DNP on Thursday. Robert Woods is attempting to make his comeback. Uh, there's a lot of moving pieces. Laramie Tunzel's on the injury report. A ton going on with Houston. So when we start breaking down like every all the moving pieces that are going on in that game, we see that Trenton Irwin played 79% of the offensive snaps in week five against the Cardinals, which was the last game that T. Higgins missed. We also see that Jamar Chase saw 19 targets in that game. Uh, but from a macro perspective, this is a team that leads the league in pass rate over expectation over the previous month of play. Joe Burrow went the first four weeks of the NFL season without surpassing 20 fantasy points. He has done so in three of his previous last four games. So this is very clearly a team. And when we're thinking about like, is there a causal factor for that? I would say, yeah, 100% there is. His health of his calf. So now we have a team where Joe Burrow's healthy. We've seen how they've kind of handled the snap rate um, distribution without T. Higgins already. So we're expecting a pass-heavy Cincinnati Bengals team to be even more concentrated now amongst Jamar Chase, Trent Irwin, uh, potential for Tyler Boyd to get in the mix because this team does not really target their tight ends very heavily. What are you seeing from this spot, Rich? And is there any hidden upside for us? Well, until Sunday night, they didn't target their tight ends. Uh, yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, They threw that wrinkle on us. They didn't target their tight ends 11% uh, of the time before Sunday night, and then they had 31% of the targets against the Bills. All of them uh, kind of got in the mix. Tanner Hudson, Drew Sample scored his second. Irv Smith, Jr. anytime the game starts, the Irv Smith Jr. touchdown, where it's like, all right, this is yeah. peak showdown environment. Like, oh, yeah. <laughs> it, was, it was cooking. And you know what? I do wonder, though, if they will continue to kind of utilize some of the tight ends if T. Higgins is out because of the Burrow health status. So since Burrow has come back, he's been under center 20% of the time, which you say 20% of the time is not a huge deal, but it was only 4% of the time before that. And what makes yeah. it a big deal, though, is the play action passing game is now open to them. Uh, like in a way that it wasn't before. So Burrow now has used play action on 31% of his dropbacks the past two weeks. It was only 18% prior, and he's 20 of 24 passing in her play action. So maybe we do see the play action game under center stuff stick around with them using the tight ends. Also, they had toyed around with since the, the last time Tegan's missed, they had toyed around with using Andre Yoshivas in the red zone. So I do yeah. wonder if like maybe he 
is involved like in some in a package i, I he's definitely gonna get out snapped by trent Irwin. there's no doubt yeah. about that but they were kind of messing around with him having like a little bit of a package of plays near the red zone so he he has been involved down there so like because trent Irwin, i think is one of those guys where you look at the price and you're like all right if i can get 10 to 12 targets I can at least float by, but like, is there upside of Trent Irwin? Like, do we have really something? I'm, I don't know. Uh, yeah. And you look at this Texans team; they're so weird, right? Because everything's inverse. They're actually really good against the run. Like, if you look mm-hmm. at like their metrics, they're only allowing three point three yards per carry to running backs. That's second in the NFL. But they allow all these touchdowns to the running backs. Yeah. And that's kind of created like this this thing where they give up points to running backs. You saw it again with Rashad White last week. Like Rashad White only had 3.6 yards per carry. He gets the two bunnies, and he ends up smashing on the slate. Inversely, they their metrics against wide receivers aren't good, like on a per-target basis, a per-catch. Yeah. But they don't, they've only given up two touchdowns to wide receivers. So like it's it's inversed, like uh, how like the distribution of touchdowns is going based on where the efficiency is going. Uh, against this Texans defense. So it's so I ask you this. That's an interesting point. Uh, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off there, but that brought up a really interesting point. Is that noise? Is that variance? I or think is so. Any- I think we'll see some. I think when you, anytime you see like a team giving up like a, like a, a high number of efficiency, like to wide receivers, like there's going to be an inverse, right? There's going to be a regression to it. Yeah. Uh, because you can't like skate and give up just like all these bad peripherals and then just get by and say, well, I mean, in the NFL season, you could because it's the small sample inherently, but yeah. typically you would bet on that flipping. If they're going to continue to give up this type of efficiency to wide receivers, eventually the touchdown should go there too. Um, what better spot than against the pass heaviest? That's not a word, but we'll roll with it. Yeah. <laughs> the most pass heavy. Uh, offense over the previous four weeks. Um, I dig that. Uh, we were, I mentioned before we jumped on this pod and we were kind of shooting the shit here before we got on. Um, it feels like based on, I mean, if assuming Nico Collins misses, we'll talk about him here shortly. Um, it feels like you could legitimately come close to building an entire roster on this slate with only players from this game and not feel overexposed. That's kind of my feelings towards this spot. I think, Joe Mixon is extremely underpriced based on his recent usage, based on the matchup, based on the the fact that T. Higgins is out. We should expect a floor of somewhere between four to six targets uh, with T. Higgins out for Joe Mixon. Um, Obviously, Jamar Chase, the upside is there. Uh, Tyler Boyd is viable here. Trent Irwin is viable here. Um, Let's talk about the Houston Texans and see if there's potential to uh, bring it back here. Yes, uh, T. Higgins is officially out for us this weekend as expected. What are you seeing from the Texans? And talk to me a little bit about Nico Collins and what his absence would mean to this team. Uh, We talked about building that Texan stack out last week on the show, and we had talked about how the one frustrating element with the Texans was, you know, Bobby Sloak had yet to kind of be aggressive and run this offense through the passing game. And, you know, he finally had religion at least for one week. And, you know, he's, he's, he's learning the job too. So I do want to give him the benefit of the doubt that maybe, you know, this is, this won't just regress either, but with Damian Pierce out and Tunsil back, I mean, they had a season high 59.4% drop back rate on first downs. That was ninth in the NFL last week. Previously it was just 40% dead last in the NFL. And they were rewarded with, you know, CJ Stroud going 16 of 19, with 298 yards and four touchdowns on first down passes. Uh, First down pass attempts is so beautiful. It's a thing of beauty. I love it. (laughs) I will say I am nervous in this spot because they're, I mean, big Lou gets like, is always a guy that has my respect, you know, Lou Anarumo, the the defensive coordinator for the Bengals, especially his in-game adjustments. There are very few defensive coordinators that in-game adjust better than the Bengals. And if you look at the Bengals, they have won 19 straight games in a row. They have led at halftime. Uh, they are really good in second half adjustments, particularly he's faced six rookie quarterbacks since he joined the Bengals. And those rookie quarterbacks have only completed 57% of their passes, 7.3 yards per pass attempt and three total touchdown passes in six games. And we're talking about guys like Trevor Lawrence, Kyler Murray, Tua Tungabailoa. Granted it was rookie Tua, which is different circumstances, but Rookie rules haven't applied to C.J. Stroud, but I will be a little hesitant into kind of going back to him, especially on this particular slate where there's we have a, a plethora of really good quarterbacks in that price range yeah. to kind of attack. So I am kind of hesitant. I think I will let gamers chase the C.J. Stroud angle of this. Uh, I feel like I, I did well. I got back some of my week eight money and week nine from C.J. Stroud. 
uh, yeah. and I'll be happy to have that and and focus more maybe on the Bengal side or isolated plays here because you talked about Nico Collins being out. And Tank Dell, when he had been on the field this year, has been the lead wide receiver for the Houston Texans. Uh, he ran the most pass routes again on Sunday. On snaps where both Tank Dell and Nico Collins have been on the field this season, Tank Dell has 25% of the team targets and Nico Collins only has 16%. That's a pretty mm. significant gap. Uh, you know, we just haven't, we just have a sample over the front nine where we've had more Nico Collins on the field than Tank Dell. But going forward, if we continue to see him just be a full time player, he's a guy that I think lends himself more to where his route tree is of just being a guy that's going to earn targets at a higher degree than Nico Collins is. And if we remove now Nico Collins from the board and we're talking about Robert Woods and Noah Brown and, uh, I'm not even sure who the, the four is that's going to take yeah. snaps if Robert Woods doesn't play and Nico Collins doesn't play. Uh, we are probably talking about a significant target share, and there's a reason why kind of like he and Joe Mixon are trending popular right now because their price points, too, are factored in. Like Tank Dell, yeah. DraftKings has not cared about Tank Dell's pricing basically the whole year. Like remember, there was a point early in the year he was like 3200 had like 170 yards against the Jaguars, and then next week he was 3400 Like he's still only up to – 55 this week yeah he's 55 and it's just like we're dragging our feet again we we have been harping on DraftKings a little bit this year but like come on man be more aggressive (laughs) be more aggressive you this guy's gonna end up he's gonna end up being 30 percent owned if Nico Collins is out there's no way he won't be yeah that uh it's probably John Mechie um oh that's right yeah I'm sorry Nico yeah if both Nico and Robert Woods miss it look I mean Robert Woods is at least trending in the right direction um, with these limited practices, but um, the midweek downgrade is never a good sign. Um, obviously, Nico Collins was on the injury report on Wednesday with a limited showing with that calf injury down to a DNP. That said, we do have um, a very recent example of wide receivers kind of following a midweek downgrade. I mean, DK Metcalf last week was limited and then was kind of given a maintenance day. The difference there is DK Metcalf is an established veteran. Nico Collins is, while he's been in the league a couple years, um, this is his first year in kind of this like alpha type role uh, for an NFL franchise. So I would expect that that to be a different kind of situation uh, trying to compare apples to apples. It's not exactly the same looking at DK Metcalf, but I did want to bring that up that there is a possibility that even with the midweek downgrade to a DNP on Thursday that he could play this week. Uh, But obviously check back to the Houston Texans um, injury report on from, from today, from Friday uh, to get a better idea of his expected status. But like you said, tank Dell is the truth. Also Dalton Schultz. I mean, look at what he's done over the previous five games, double digit fantasy points in four of the last five games. Finally had the breakout last week. He's had double-digit looks in two of those last five games. So you talk about a guy like Nico Collins um, not playing would open up some additional um, opportunities for Dalton Schultz. Also with Schultz, we covered this when we a couple weeks ago when we were talking about the um, San Francisco 49ers and Bengals game. The Bengals have really struggled this season due to Lou Anarumo's kind of zone-heavy defensive scheme with inline tight ends. Dalton Schultz plays about 70% of his offensive snaps in line, sees about a 30% slot snap rate to go with that. Um, But this is a guy who very clearly has gained some emphasis in this pass offense. So both of those guys, I would say, are extremely underpriced if Nico Collins misses, likely underpriced even if Nico Collins plays, uh, which should lead to some significant ownership. But I think there are some very, very, interesting ways to play these guys that the field is probably not going to be doing any uh anything to add to that no uh, yeah like like Dalton Schultz I mean you're getting a lot of touchdown equity with Dalton Schultz too yeah I mean look at like like I was saying like you could almost build an entire roster with players from this game and not feel like you're getting overexposed um yeah we didn't talk about Joe Burrow but I mean Joe Burrow uh, let's look at his box scores real quick. Joe Burrow is a guy, like we talked about, no 20-pointers in his first four. He's had 25 or more points in three of the last four. Look at his touchdowns, multiple touchdown tosses just once over those first four, and he's done it in each of the last four games. 
We know that this offense has been extremely pass heavy. Joe Burrow is a guy at 6,800 who like the way that I'll just put it is like Joe Burrow is back, baby. Like, let's go. <laughs> this offense is back. His health is back. Uh, anything else to add from this game? Nope. Nope. It's uh, that one's pretty easy. I think, especially if Nico misses like how aggressive it'll be, it'll be, I think it'll be the most aggressively played probably game two of them, of, but we got a great, actually, you know, and I don't know if I take that back. We got a lot of great games, I think this week. Yeah, there are some very interesting spots. I mean, we've got the San Francisco 49ers traveling to Jacksonville, to take on the Jaguars. Um, it's not, it's our questions with the 49ers are not typically, are they going to put up points? It's where is the production going to flow and can their right. op opponent keep up? This is a spot where their, their opponent is better equipped to keep up. We'll talk about that here shortly. Also, we have kind of the quote unquote game of the week, the late game, the lions and the chargers. Uh, we'll talk about that one as well. Um, any last second, oh, by the ways, from this one before we move on? No, no. I mean, 16 minutes on the first game is a, might be a record for us. Ooh, we're cooking, baby. Look at us. Mom, we made it. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about this uh, this 49ers and Jacksonville game. Currently instilled with a spread of three points, with the 49ers being the favorite, with a nice, healthy game total. <laughs> we say nice, healthy uh, for 2023 yes. caveats of 45 points. Uh, what are you seeing from this one? Talk to me a little bit. Yeah, it's will be interesting. So 49ers look like they're going to be kind of full mass and we haven't really seen them be full mass yeah. in a while on the field. You know, we, we, we Debo's basically been hurt since week three, week three. They didn't have Trent Williams the last two games uh, mm -hmm. prior to the bye. It looks like those guys are, well, Debo's definitely playing. It looks like Trent Williams, yeah. gonna, he practiced on Thursday. It looks like he's going to try to go too. So we're going to see like the full 49ers offense and, you know, listen, Purdy was a guy that was kind of flirting with the devil a little bit at times at turnovers, and they, they kind of caught him. But his peripherals yeah. outside of the turnovers have been amazing still. I mean, even the, the two weeks before the bye, he completed 70%, 71% of his passes, nine yards or pass attempt, 11.8 yards or pass attempt. Uh, just the turnovers kind of got them at the end of games. But for fantasy purposes, he was just as efficient forever. And in this particular matchup, it can go two ways. I mean, the Jaguars are second in the NFL in interceptions. They're good at creating turnovers this year. Uh, but they also don't pressure the quarterback at all. They're 25th yeah. in the league in terms of pressure rate. And we know if you don't pressure Brock Purdy, he's going to eat you alive in the, 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 in the system. Uh, over the, Even the past two games, when the discourse has shifted and Brock Purdy apparently has turned into a pumpkin to the general public again, uh, <laughs> a, when he hasn't been pressured in those games, he was 30 of 39 passing, 11.7 yards per pass attempt. For the year when he hasn't been pressured, he leads the NFL in completion rate, yards per pass attempt, quarterback rating when he isn't pressured. So the Jaguars don't get home. We've got Debo Samuel back. We've got the full arsenal of weaponry. I mean, it's going to be a game where the 49ers are going to have upside again like they did in the front half of the season. Uh, and we hope the Jaguars are able to combat that. Uh, the guy that still stands out to me, though, on the 49ers side is still Brandon Ayuk. I mean, it, we just were waiting for the, the touchdowns to catch up. Or maybe the overall opportunity is passing it. But I mean, only Tyreek Hill is yeah. averaging more yards per out run. And it's not even the stuff with Brandon Ayuk that used to exist. Because we used to always say, well, if the 49ers, you know, face a man-heavy team, we're going to go to Brandon Ayuk. He's their man-beater. If, if Debo Samuel's out, we're going to go to Brandon Ayuk. But he's been awesome against man. He's been awesome against zone. He's been awesome when Debo's been on the field. He's been awesome when Debo's been off the field. Yeah. When they've been on the field together, he's been targeted on 28.4% of his routes. When both players have been on the field, Brandon Ayuk gets 31.6% of the San Francisco 49ers targets. I mean, and then you look at where he lines up outside is where the Jaguars have been a little more vulnerable uh, to wide receiver play this season. Uh, they are 30th in touchdown rate, a lot of opposing wide receivers, 29th in catches per game, uh, 31st in catches per game. Some of that's game script stuff because the Jaguars have led for a lot of games, but that's where yeah. we want to attack them is on the perimeter. Uh, so Brandon Ayuk still stands out to me um, as a guy that I still want to be involved with very heavily. <laughs> yeah, to tell you're saying there's a chance. Yeah, yeah that's important discussion. Clip and save that one. Yeah, right. <laughs> editors, come on in. Uh, we don't have editors, by the way. Uh, I am the editor. Um, that's an interesting discussion to have, also, because we know that Jaguars, um, on paper, they probably have the fastest defense in the league. Um, that is important, I think, to understand because they play the fourth highest rate of zone, um, and typically where they've found their most success is against quarterbacks that have problems processing because they can close gaps um, at an elevated rate or an increased rate, um, and they can 
basically make the look in a drop back look very different from what the quarterback is seeing pre-snap. So their confusion factor for opposing quarterbacks is kind of off the charts. Brock Purdy, we know his his IQ scores are high, his S2 scores are high. We know that that's kind of why he's in the league uh, is because of his smarts. So that's all of that to say, I would expect the San Francisco 49ers to find some success here. Uh, you look at the discussion between Brandon Ayuk and Debo Samuel. I mean, they are both ranked in the top 15 in wide receivers um, in fantasy points per route run this season against zone coverage. You have Brandon Ayuk now who started the season. He, as you alluded to, was kind of the man beater for this offense. Well, I mean, now he's ranked third in yards per route run against zone. So this is a guy who's just winning. He's just a complete yep. wide receiver now, um, which is awesome to see. Um, but that said, with Trent Williams um, is a very, very important piece to this game, I think, because the the Jaguars are are still blitzing at an above average rate. Like you alluded to, they're not necessarily hitting home, uh, but they're still mixing in blitzes at an above average rate. So Trent Williams is a piece where his status could influence George Kittle's. Um, against the blitz. We know he's the most complete tight end in the game, plays heavy uh, rate of his snaps in line. They do that because they can utilize him in so many different looks and it doesn't tip off their play call because they can run routes front with him from zone or from in line. They can put him in motion. They can split him out to the, the slot and then they motion him back to in line. Uh, they do all kinds of interesting things with George Kittle. Trent Williams is important because that could free up George Kittle to be in a route at a higher rate against a team that is still blitzing at an above average rate. Uh, anything to add on George Kittle? Yeah, I mean, with Kittle, it's just one of these things like we've got to fight through when both of Debo and this is a multi-year sample now that they yeah. have when both of those guys play. He He's the guy that consistently gets lost in the sauce. Um, in the last two weeks, I've enjoyed betting George Kittle overs in player prop yeah. stuff because whenever one of these guys miss, he's heavily involved. And when they both have Ayuka Debo available, uh, he doesn't get targeted. I mean, he's run 72 pass routes this year with both guys on the field. He's, he's been he's got 11 percent of the team targets in those situations. Yeah. It goes back to last year, too. So we just need to. It, it's a the problem we've had with the 49ers offense for the for multi years. Right. Is that the volume doesn't. Uh, it mushes the ta overall talent because we haven't even talked about Christian McCaffrey. Uh, yeah, that's it, what, where they, we're going next. <laughs> I mean, they have just four absolute studs, and these guys all run 25 to 30 pass routes per game, right? Like, there's just a finite number of targets for all these guys to produce yeah. equal, equally uh, at the same time. Yeah, that's that's our kind of problem here. Um, is we expect them to succeed. I mean, they have an extremely high rate with Brock Purdy under center of hitting 30 points. Uh, for those of you math wizards at home, that's four touchdowns. So that's kind of like what we're looking for when we're looking for upside. The problem for us is it's very difficult because they can win in so many different ways. It's very difficult to figure out where that production is going. So that'll lead us right into talking about CMC. On paper, the matchup does not look good on the ground. But if you right. kind of look at the whole picture, the Jaguars have allowed the most running back receptions this season. And that is likely due to the fact that it's a combination of a couple of things, really. They have been stout against the run. They have been in positive game environments. I mean, this is a team that is kind of controlling their own destiny this year. And they're winning games, uh, which they had not necessarily done in the past. I mean, last year they were fighting tooth and nail. Um, come the midway point in the season, they rattled off a bunch of wins at the end to try and make the playoffs. This year, they're kind of controlling their own destiny a little bit. Um, but that said, Christian McCaffrey, what is it, 17 straight in a row now with a touchdown? Yeah. Uh, absolutely absurd. Um, and you look at his last two weeks, I mean, he's getting it done through the air. He has a touchdown receiving touchdown in four of the last five. And look at his rushing touchdowns. I mean, this is a guy who's just getting it done. He's going to remain involved in the offense. CMC is probably the only player that we can confidently say it doesn't matter the status of Debo Samuel, Trent Williams, uh, right. George Kittle, Brandon Ayuk. This is the guy who this offense is kind of built around now. With that, I mean, he's priced at 9200 and salary because we don't have a ton of projectable i like to use the word projectable vol uh, value because those are the players that are priced yeah, yeah. low 
that have a solid median projection that you can feel comfy about putting into your lineup. And that's important because that kind of influences the field's decisions on a given slate. A little bit of theory there. But all that to say, I don't expect Christian McCaffrey to garner a ton of ownership on the slate because of where he's priced at and because we don't have a ton of projectable volume. With that, is he a guy that you're looking to be overweight on this week? I mean, we always want to when we can, especially when the field's not not on him. Uh, we had a spot earlier in the year, too, where we were we were on him, and it was kind of one of those, like, you know, yeah. you, is he just getting value at that price, or can he get you 30? How's the week he had, like, 40 points? Yeah, yeah. Uh, this is four-touchdown week or yeah. something. He's also third amongst all running backs in target rate against the Blitz. So we we have that that lined up here too with some with some symmetry that if the Jaguars are going to be blitz heavy we can get that that run out through receptions with him through the air and he has three games with a rushing touchdown and a receiving touchdown so yeah. you can even he's the one of the few running backs where if you are on slotting this game you can play him with Brock Purdy like you can play Christian McCaffrey with the quarterback uh, which is really not very no there's not a lot of guys we could say we could do that with. And you can yeah. still play, you know, an Iuke or bring it back with a uh, Calvin Ridley or something else. And you've got yourself a nice core of this game. Uh, you can get creative there. Uh, that's the great thing about CMC. I love it. What I think is going to go largely overlooked is the fact that Travis Etienne is legitimately a workhorse running back. Like we're going to declare it right now. The man has arrived. Let's let's put some respect on this dude's name. Um, he trails only CMC in a lot of important volume metrics. Obviously, CMC has seen 44 red zone opportunities, whereas I think Travis Etienne is at 16 this season. Uh, somebody fact check me there. Uh, I'm going off of off the dome on that one. Um, but yeah, like Travis Etienne has two goal line attempts. So that is very clearly the difference between the two. Um, but when we're talking about how to access upside in ways that the field is not I mean, look at the screen here. This is a very, very nice high floor, high ceiling potential way to get exposure to this game. Um, any interest on Travis Etienne here? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, another guy just has massive touchdown, you know, equity. Uh, what, was he got seven touchdowns the last, the last four games? Four yeah. games. He got seven touchdowns. He had multiple touchdowns in three of those games. That's what we look for when we're talking about ceiling. Like, can you get? Do you, what boxes do you check? Do you play passing downs? Do you have control? Do you play third downs, passing downs? Do you get goal line work? With that was the last box he needed to hurdle, and he started to get it the last few weeks. Yeah. Um, do you play in an offense that's capable of scoring points? You know, all these things. He checks it all off. He checks everything we're looking for. He's been underpriced on DraftKings the entire year. Yeah. Uh, again, fitting the theme. Uh, where it's like Fandle got aggressive with him early. They kind of saw uh the writing on the wall there and it started pricing him up. But he has been underpriced on DraftKings basically the entire season because He's got 83% of the backfield touches now. Uh, only yeah. Joe Mixon and, and Josh Jacobs have accounted for a higher share of their backfield touches. And he's in a way better offense than those. Well, not for the, the last three the weeks. The Bengals, yeah. have been different than the first <laughs> yeah. four weeks. But he's been in uh, consistently a better offense for the entire season than those two players. Uh, so, yeah, I definitely love Travis Etienne. And you love, too, when, before the bye, flex him out. Hit him with a nice go route on the 70 yard touchdown. I know. Uh, this, is, this, this is the usage we want to see. That's what we want to see. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, look at this workload. He has been on the field for 80% of the offensive snaps in all but two games this season. His last five games, he has. Look at his average... It doesn't yeah, move. Dude, it doesn't move. Uh, it doesn't move, man. Uh, but yeah, this is, this is workhorse status. That's why we <laughs> I alluded to the fact that. We need to start placing some respect on this name because DraftKings surely isn't. Um, yes, the matchup. tripling your salary literally four weeks in a row and your salary doesn't move. Yeah. You know why that is? I Well, this is theory, but the DraftKings pricing algorithm also takes into account ownership. So that tells me that he has not been being – He has not been, been underplayed and underpriced. Exactly. So this is simply a, a case of – we call it at OWS, we call it pricing psychology, which is, oh, his price isn't moving. He must not be performing. And it's it's a mental block that is hard to get over. Uh, but this is this is a guy that is very, very clearly one of the top on paper point per dollar plays on the slate. Like we can talk about the matchup. Yes, yada, yada. But the most important thing for running back expected fantasy points is volume. 
And this is a man that has that in spades. Uh, anything else to add on Travis Etienne before we talk about the pass catchers for Jacksonville? No, no, no. Yeah, I mean, this is this is the probably interesting element because you still, when you look at the 49ers defense, I mean, the front seven is loaded. And, you know, they add Chase yeah. Young this on a name recognition stance. And, like, you know, you talk about Bosa adding Chase Young. You got Eric Armstead. You got Javon Hargrave in the middle. You've got, you know, Greenlaw and you've got Fred Warner. I mean, if you were just drafting NFL defensive players, there'd be no shot you'd be able to get two of those guys probably on the yeah. same team, let alone have all those guys on the same team. So I do wonder if the back half of the season, because they haven't been a good run defense the, the, yeah. the front half of the year, if that shores up, if it gets better, or if they end up just like cooking and then they just force teams to attack them outside where they're just the weakest. The weakest part of this defense is on the boundary and on the back end. And does it turn into just like a passing attack game? Uh, we haven't seen the Jaguars do that. They haven't had to do that. Yeah. Uh, so, but if there's an opportunity for that, do we see that happen? And we saw the Bengals kind of sort of that mix and got there, but like they were very aggressive against the 49ers. Um, uh, and, and so were the, uh, Vikings a little bit. So does that equal like a game where we have a Ridley Christian Kirk type game? I do like Ridley in this game as the bring back guy, because of just where he's being utilized. It doesn't look like we're going to get Zay Jones back. It sounded, uh, word recording is Friday afternoon. And last yeah. I had heard Doug Peters had called him a long shot. He only had yeah. practice and coming out of the bye and only logging one limited practice probably ain't, ain't a good sign of where his health set either. So with Zay Jones off the field, I mean, you've seen how they use Calvin Ridley, 55% of his targets are 10 yards or further downfield. 60% of his targets are outside the numbers. That's where he's being utilized. Those targets do come with a lower success rate, but it's also where we want to target the 49ers. That's where they've been the worst at defending wide receivers on the outside. So, yeah. And we saw them face the Steelers, the Jaguars, that is before the bye. And Calvin Ridley had that matchup, the same thing lined up where the Steelers, where the Steelers are built, they're built better in the middle of the field defensively and at the line of scrimmage and Calvin Ridley had 10 targets in that game. So it, it does line up again to where I think Calvin Ridley is going to at least get the targets. What he does with them is, is to be determined, but I do think it, is, it sets up for Calvin Ridley to flirt with double digit targets again. I like that. Cause when you just when you start digging into beyond the top level metrics of the San Francisco defense, I mean, this is a defense that has still only allowed 1.13 yards before contact this season. That's fifth best in the in the league. So this is not like a defense that is just like they've had issues against the run. Now, opponents have been largely overperforming expectations against them on the ground. Um, so looking at like, I mean, they, they're allowing 4.1 yards per carry. That's right in the middle of the league. Uh, but again, 1.13 yards before contact. This is a still a swarming and very aggressive uh, run defense for us. Um, What's interesting to me from the pass catchers, you mentioned the fact that um, where or the, the areas of the field that we want to be looking to attack this San Francisco 49ers defense, they are playing more man coverage this season than they have over the previous three years. I mean, they're near league average in man coverage and zone coverage rate, whereas this has been historically a very, very heavy zone defense. And they have... They're they're near the top of the league in yards allowed per coverage snap while in zone. They're near, near the top of the league in a lot of defensive metrics when in zone. And then you look at they are below average in a lot of underlying defensive metrics again when in man coverage. Is that something that you're considering as well? I mean, look at both Christian Kirk and Calvin Ridley are around 25% targets per route run against man this season. Um, is that also kind of going into your love for Calvin here? Yeah, I mean, you look at just the the players and, you know, that that they've got, you know, on the back end. And from a talent perspective, I, I mean, I don't want to, you know, to discredit and say, you know, Tarkarius Ward is like a bad player or anything. But like when you're talking yeah. about from like where if you're ranking the 49ers defensive players with talent stance, the cornerbacks are going to be lower on the list when you get to Chartavius Ward and you get to uh, Lenore like this yeah this, this is the weak this is the weakest part from a talent perspective and it's like hey the team building you can't build 11 studs it's hard to, to do and so you're gonna have a weak spot and the ball typically ends up finding those guys sooner or later uh that it has this year I dig it is there any secondary members outside of Kirk or Ridley that you're I guess outside of Kirk Ridley and ETN uh from the Jags that you're looking to target here with Zay Jones expected to be out. 
No, because we haven't seen anyone else involved outside of Zay Jones at the, the wide receiver yeah. position. Evan Ingram continues to be a guy that's utilized like uh, outside of the 20s. He saw zero touchdowns, uh, very volume-based. He's very much like the Michael Thomas of tight ends. Uh, Ooh. He just kind of lives in like that 9 to 13-point PPR range, you know? Just yeah. Lives there. And, and then I typically have always never want, like playing tight ends for ceiling against the 49ers because yeah. of respect for Mr. Fred Warner. Uh, yep. You can get there through volume, like TJ Hawkinson a couple of Monday de- nights ago, but like you need to get a lot of volume to get there uh, against the 49ers. Yeah. We've talked a lot about, about uh, uh, we've talked a lot about um, some potential regression spots. The fact that Evan Ingram has scored zero touchdowns is more descriptive than I think it is predictive. And what I mean by that is this is a guy who his role is just not as robust in the red zone. So the fact that he has scored zero touchdowns this season is a little bit more telling of his utilization rather than, Hey, this is a spot like we talked about earlier that could swing the other direction. Uh, So I like that shout a good bit. Uh, All right, man. Any other, Oh, by the way, he's got just here with this game. No, no, this should be fun. I mean, it's a, the fun one o'clock game. Uh, it's nice to have like a like a, a real hammer game like early. Yeah, we haven't had that in a while for sure. Um, and the fact that there are like we're we're used to coming on the show and saying, "Hey, this is the expected quote unquote game of the week." Uh, we're going to talk about it here real quickly. We'll see if there's any spots for us to search for ceiling in it. Uh, we're talking about we're highlighting three games that have that kind of feel this week with the third one being this Lions and Chargers game. So tell me a little bit about what you're seeing from the underlying metric standpoint from this one. Yeah, this looks like a really good spot for the Detroit passing game. I think Amon Ross St. Brown is just our, he's just outright my favorite player on this slate. Mm-hmm. I think I think from a floor median projection to ceiling projection, a pair with the matchup, I think he just is. And then where we talk about maybe where we're going to get leverage in this slate, because if Higgins is out and Chase is going to play, he's going to have ownership. We have already seen CeeDee Lamb just on this incredible heater. Uh, maybe people get scared of like potential game script off him, but he's just absolutely cooking. The way they're using CeeDee Lamb has really unlocked his upside. Yeah. Uh, Thank you. Thank but you. <laughs> Amon Ra... Is just, he's got a, he's got 100 yards or a touchdown in every game this year. When he's on the yeah. field, he has 33% of the targets. Uh, we talk about this Chargers defense. They are very zone-based, 10th uh, in the NFL in zone rate. They lead the NFL in rate of cover six in the NFL. Uh, you know, uh, when the Lions are seeing zone coverage, Jared Goff's thrown 11 of his 12 touchdown passes this season. Uh, Amon Ross St. Brown has been targeted on 31% of his routes against zone coverage. That's third in the league, 2.8 yards per route run against zone coverage against those specific cover six looks, which the the Chargers have been in almost a quarter of the time, 25%. Mm -hmm. Uh, He's been targeted on 37 and a half percent of his routes, three and a half yards per route run on top of that, even without even getting into all that, like the Chargers just from a top down perspective against opposing wide receiver ones are allowing 6.6 catches and 98.9 receiving yards per game to lead targets uh, in opposing passing games. So I, I'm gravitating to Amon Ross St. Brown. I definitely am not worried about the golf road splits because we've already yeah. seen golf. Like, well, one, this game's like indoors in LA, a stadium he's yeah. already played in a lot of his career. Uh, and then we've already seen like when the weather's not impactful to Jared Goff on the road, it's not a thing where we need to really incorporate it. Uh, he went on the road in Tampa Bay three weeks ago in a soft spot and absolutely cooked the, the Buccaneers. Uh, we seen at the end of last year, he had a road game in Carolina and led all quarterbacks in scoring. Like we don't really need to get into like the weeds of like the home road stuff. And we look at this chargers defense in totality. Like they've had a nice reprieve the last two weeks against Tyson Bajant and Zach Wilson, but Tua Tunga Bailoa, Patrick Mahomes, Dak Prescott and Kirk cousins all logged top five scoring weeks against this defense. So out of the bye with David Montgomery back, you know, kind of this offense figuring out what they kind of wanted to do with Jameer Gibbs. Sam Laporta is absolutely cooking. Um, mm-hmm. I like this spot for the Lions offense a lot. Likewise, what are you looking to to bring it back? Because the primary contributors here are rather pricey. They are. And it's really kind of where we kind of run in the roadblock of here of stacking this game. 
uh, because the ball really only goes through Keenan Allen and Austin Eckler. And we've also mm-hmm. seen that become a problem now again this season, like it did towards the back half of last season for the Chargers, is they just don't have enough players that can create explosive plays. And this yeah. offense is really kind of, and they played some good defenses since Mike Williams got hurt to like give like them some credit. Like they faced the Cowboys, they faced the Chiefs, they faced the Jets. Like they have faced some hard defenses, but we don't have the juice in this offense again. And it's been removed mm-hmm. and they're just unable to create explosives. And it's a problem for this offense. And it, we've seen now Justin Herbert, since Mike Williams has been hurt, has set a new career low in passing yardage in two of the five games since Mike Williams has been out. Uh, we, they haven't found a way to utilize Quentin Johnston properly. Quentin Johnston was a guy who did not win downfield in the big 12. I can yeah. guarantee you that he's not going to beat <laughs> sauce Gardner down the field. Like he did like Monday night. You cannot deploy yeah. Quentin Johnston the way they did against sauce Gardner. Like that is just, that was a, it was a, it was a fool's errand. And like, these are, these are millionaires that make way more money. Tell them more. These guys know way more about football than I will ever know. I, but you can, that's just not an optimal offensive approach the way they used Quentin Johnson last week. I thought against the bears, they had start to kind of figure out like you want to get him the ball on these crossers yeah. and these drags and then let him use his yak ability. Cause he's very much like a young, like it, 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 maybe it's just like hyperbole, but like he's, he's like a young version of like what Terrell Owens was early in his career. Until Terrell has figured out how to play wide receiver. Uh, like you want to use his size and athleticism in creating yards after the catch because he's not he's not a nuanced wide receiver. And he wasn't at TCU. What and he didn't have to be in the TCU offense because that wasn't what their offense was based around. Yeah. Um, and you know, removing Josh Palmer actually mattered for this offense, which is absolutely wild to think about. Because yeah. now you've got Jalen Guyton now elevated this role, and he's never been a target earner over the course of his career. Mm-hmm. He's always been on team cardio. Uh and it's just, it's really hard. This Jack, this Chargers offense has just really found themselves in the same box that they found themselves in last year is they just cannot find a way to create explosive plays and they don't have the personnel to create explosive plays. Yeah. Which should confine, or it leads me to kind of the second talking point with this spot and why I personally have not gotten into full like team Amon Ross St. Brown. Uh, because the Lions defense has been no joke. And if the Chargers are not able to generate those explosive plays against, I mean, this could be a spot where Amon Ra is seeing, I mean, he's going to see, or it's very likely that he's going to see double digit looks. Um, but in his role, kind of over the middle of the field, how is is he more likely to put up a a score, like an out of reach score that you had to have on the slate than a guy like, Christian McCaffrey, or then a guy like uh, you mentioned CD lamb, some of these other players that are priced up in this similar range. Um, and my answer is, I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't know. Is Austin Eckler going to be able to per, like return uh, punches, punch for punch against a very, very strong lions defense that is also better in coverage this year from a linebacking and safety standpoint. Uh, when we're talking about running backs catching passes out of the backfield, uh, is Keenan Allen going to be able? I mean, Keenan Allen is the truth. The dude put up mm-hmm. 10,000 receiving yards in his career last weekend. Um, surpassed, didn't put up 10,000, surpassed 10,000 receiving yards for Los Angeles. Um, but the fact that, I mean, he's still in this mediocre, modest dot role, where are the explosive plays coming from? And if the Chargers can't go punch per punch against the Lions, and this is an interesting nuanced discussion as well, because the Lions have come out and they have they have laid it to. I mean, look at what they did to the Ravens um, where they came or sorry, not the Ravens, um, the, the Buccaneers. But this is also a team that like we haven't seen necessarily in game environments where they're not pushed um, come out and be this kind of aggressive type factor. Is that going to be different in the first half versus the second half this game? I don't know. There's just a lot of uncertainties for me that I think the field might be overlooking Mm -hmm. from this spot um, that kind of make this like my least favorite game of the the first three that we've talked about here. Yeah, I think from a like a stacking perspective, you're better off to just either do like ice just like a a lion stack. Right. If you want to do that or just play your your isolated plays like Amon Ra. 
than yeah. bring, trying to bring this back. Because if you try to bring it back with Eckler or Keenan, I mean, you are really handcuffed, especially if you want to do something like get cute with like a double, right? Because Laporta is going to eat some of your salary too. Because uh, you kind of talked about it. They're, they're, we just don't have a lot of those real cheap guys with median projections like we typically have had. Like we don't have the Demario yeah. Douglas this week, right? Like mm-hmm. the guys all at the bottom this week are Trent Irwin, Kyle Phillips, Nick Westbrook, Akine, like we don't have those guys at the bottom. So it's going to force guys, it's going to force more like roster ship to be heavier of the guys that are 5K and above. Um, yeah. So, so eating 5-7 at a tight end spot, it's going to be hard this week, although I do like Laporta. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. You know, so it, it's hard to add a Keenan Allen or to a, and an Austin Eckler here, right? It's just extremely mm-hmm. hard to say like you want onslaught this game. I think you're better off either playing your individual PC like or going with just your like isolated line stack. We have this comment from the the trusty Wondercat here. Uh, Demont season. The problem for me is he's priced at sixty nine hundred. Both guys, back. both running backs yeah. are expensive. It's insane. And when you look at like how these backs have been utilized in tandem when they've both been active, it's very very difficult to justify those price tags. In this spot. You have to get two touchdowns from both either running back you want to play. I would say Gibbs, you might not have to because if he catches as many passes as he did the two weeks yeah. prior to the bye, but is he going to catch that many passes? Mont- Montgomery has to score two touchdowns. There's mm-hmm. like no uh, if way around it. Like he has to score two touchdowns for you. The other interesting aspect is we really only have like three, maybe even only two because Jameer Gibbs got hurt in week four games this season where both of these guys have been active. And those two games were week one and week two, uh, where Jameer Gibbs is a rookie running back. We had this whole discussion from the coaching staff in Detroit. Oh, we're going to bring Jameer Gibbs along a little bit slow. Uh, so there's a lot of uncertainty with this spot. Um, I And I think that kind of ties into... And this ain't the old Chargers run D, man. That's the other thing. Like This yeah. isn't the Brandon Staley like run sieve that we had targeted for multiple years. They're actually playing. And that's what's funny is what's made it so good about it for us to finally be able to target their secondaries. They've been good against running backs. Yeah. Very, very interesting. There's a lot of moving pieces. I would agree that Amon Ross St. Brown is probably the uh, the ultimate piece from this game if you're looking to, for a, a one-off type. Um, it's just very hard for me to click him currently. And again, I got a lot of I got a lot of room to continue to explore my process for this week. But currently, it's very, very hard for me to click Amon Ross St. Brown personally um, over guys like Jamar Chase, CeeDee Lamb even, um, and um, CMC in san francisco uh but very very clearly has the upside this week uh anything to else anything else to add from this spot no no there's a couple more fun ones we could try to get while we're up against it yeah let's why don't you take the reins here tell me about one of those fun spots well we have two we could try to do uh uh, titans bucks and seahawks commanders i think are two games that you know stand out Bingo. Uh, from a from a stacking perspective, just because you could do so much with them, and it's what why we yeah. built around the, the the Texans Bucks last week. I mean, this past defense since their bye has just been absolutely abysmal. Uh, the past four weeks, they've they're thirty, they've had seventy two percent completion rate, a league high nine point three yards per pass attempt, nine touchdowns, one interception. They even allowed ten yards per pass attempt to Desmond Ritter. Uh, who has since you're talking about the Bucks, right? The Bucks, yeah, yeah. Uh, and they might not have Carlton Davis, and they probably for sure aren't going to have Jamel Dean, who's in concussion protocol. Uh, so like yeah. when you talk about mo- removing their top two corners potentially, too. We have an example where we've already seen a ceiling game from Will Levis. You know, we may never get it again, but we've seen it, so we don't have to just highlight the matchup. And we've just gotten cheap players like all over the board. Like you can do, you can do a lot of things with like Will Levis, DeAndre Hopkins, Nick Westbrook, Akine. If you want to get to a Conquo, if you want to run back Mike Evans, like you can just do a lot of stuff here. Yeah, for sure. I want to address this real quick. A question just popped in the chat. You at least recognize the leverage though with Amon Ross St. Brown. And I would say no. Um, the reason for that is Amon Ross St. Brown is more of a true pivot off of those other guys like that are priced around his same range. So CMC, um, CD Lamb, Jamar Chase. When you talk about a pivot versus generating leverage, generating leverage is a way to make, basically reduce the things that need to go right and have you leap a large portion of the field if what you bet on outperforms what the rest of the field bets on. When you're talking about 1v1 player versus player, that is 
not really the way that we're looking to generate leverage because that is just saying this player will outscore this player. The rest of the roster is built very, very similarly to the way that it would have been had you played air player A versus player B. Um, so when we're talking about leverage, playing Amon Ross St. Brown over CMC or playing him over Jamar Chase is not necessarily generating leverage in the way that we want to be attacking DFS. It is a pivot, which generates a small amount of leverage, but not enough to be meaningful um, in this kind of perspective of the slate overall. Um, anything to add on that discussion real quick? Before no, we that's, exactly, there, that's exactly the, the definition. Uh, like I said, I still like Amon Ra as a, a little bit more than you do, but uh, that's yeah. okay. That's, that's okay. okay. Yeah, that, that's okay. <laughs> we can't, that's why we're here, man. This is awesome. We're not always going to agree. Um, yes. Talking about this, back to the, sorry, the getting back to, back on track here with the Tennessee Titans and the Tampa Bay Bucks. Um, with this kind of like, not necessarily Jekyll and Hyde from Will Levis, but like the very Actually, clear. This is what over, we have. <laughs> yeah, the very clear like over performance in his first NFL start, four touchdowns. The very clear like kind of regression overall to the mean with zero touchdown passes against the Steelers. What do you make of this? And is there upside from these pass catchers to be able to exploit the tendencies that we've seen from Tampa? Yeah, I mean, I think there is, uh, especially, you know, with DeAndre Hopkins. You know, we've seen, like, DeAndre Hopkins is not washed at all, like, from a yeah. talent perspective. And we even saw it with Ryan Tannehill, the game against the Colts, right? Like, you look at, I mean, it, it, he's had some nice real spike weeks. He And he's if he's going to get these downfield targets, especially against, you know, uh, Logan Ryan, if Logan Ryan's out here uh, on the field for the, for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, like, there's definite upside with him. Uh, yeah. You've talked about Nick Westbrook Akine too, and how he's utilized. I mean, he, vertical target, especially with Traylon Burks being out. Because you know we're talking about Traylon Burks not playing in this game after the scary yep. concussion he had. Uh, he is a guy that can get those downfield targets as well and win. I mean, at 3,400, Nick Westbrook Akine becomes a very interesting piece in this game in a similar fashion, even more so, I would say, than like how people got to Noah Brown last week. Uh, because he's going to yeah. earn targets downfield, especially from Will Levis. Uh, so he becomes an interesting kind of pay down piece uh, that definitely has volatility. Don't get me wrong. He's not a guy you should be like saying like, all right, I'm going to take this $3,400 guy and put him in these cash lineups as like an as Gibraltar. But uh, definitely <laughs> is a guy that's going to earn targets uh, in the types of targets we want versus probably a Kyle Phillips at 3K, uh, who's yeah. probably going to be get more ownership surrounding him, I believe. You think so? Interesting. Uh, again, I, mean, I don't know 3k and like a guy that, you know, maybe, I mean, I might be wrong, but like, you know, uh, yeah. definitely, I think Kyle Phillips is a guy people want to get on board with. Yeah. They want to love, right. It's <laughs> that's like the mental block of playing DFS. Um, that is very interesting. Cause uh, like we've talked about previously, I don't look at ownership numbers until at least Friday evening, sometimes Saturday morning, uh, just kind of how my process shakes out. Um, so that's very interesting. I love the the NHW shout there. Um, NW, NWI, I don't know what the hell I'm saying. Uh, Nick Westbrook-Akine. Uh, he's got a bunch of H's and W's in his name. I don't know, guys. Stick with me here. Um, but yeah, that's, uh, that is uh, a very, very interesting shout. Like you mentioned, I mean, Travis or uh, Traylon Burks has not necessarily been being utilized solely downfield. He has a rather robust route tree, uh, which was good to see this season in this offense. That said, Nick Westbrook Akine is capable of running those seven to nine routes. He's capable of working downfield and he can be that player that kind of extends this offense in the vertical and opens things up. Um, when looking at how this game kind of erupts, like how does this game be pushed into something that, that we're very, very interested in? Because likeliest scenario is that there could be one or two uh, potential upside plays from this game. But for this game to like truly open up into a game where we kind of had to have it or you weren't winning anything, I think that flows through Mike Evans this week. Mm -hmm. And the interesting discussion to be had about that is the Titans are no longer like elite elite against the run. We saw a little bit of the hangover factor over the first month of the season where they were crushing teams in the trenches on the defensive side of the ball. Over the last month of play, 
they have slipped from top five in basically every metric against the run to the middle of the pack in basically every metric against the run this season. And that's very, very interesting, obviously coming off of the last three years in the tenure of this coaching staff where they have been elite against the run. So is this a spot? I mean, we're seeing the ownership in the, the, the hangover factor here in Rashad white. Um, but I think this is at only 5,800. I think this is okay. Chalk to be on this week. Do you, are you seeing the same thing? Yeah. Yeah. I tried to talk you into Rashad white last week and you kind of yeah, were like, no, you did. he doesn't have the upside. I went with Kate uh, on who, who, who was there still too. Yeah. But I actually think like, I think it's an all right week to get off of Rashad White because, I mean, okay. you, I think you need the multiple touchdowns. So the Titans' run D has been very mediocre. Yeah. But I cannot see the Buccaneers lining up and running the football on this on this team. Like, I have a really hard time seeing, like, the, this version of the Buccaneers who haven't run the ball on anyone, like, really kind of lining up and be able to run the football. So I feel like he needs multiple yeah. touchdowns or he's going to have to do – I feel like he's a great core play. You play him in your cash games. I think Rashad White, where he's priced, great cash game guy. He's going to catch some balls. Uh, he hit you with a nice value. You hope you hope the luck box and do a touchdown. Uh, but I, I'm not scared. I feel like he's got to have multiple touchdowns to beat me again this week again in yeah. this matchup. But Mike Evans, I know, can beat me. I feel like yes. Mike Evans can beat me pretty pretty bad. And I'm curious about this that tier of guys because Mike Evans, Brandon Ayuk, and DK Metcalf, who I'll try to sneak in again out the door. Uh, if gamers are going to get to that tier of pricing at wide receivers, given to where there's no freebies. Uh, mm-hmm. And, you know, because I feel like, you know, are people going to want to play like Deontay Johnson, you know, down there at 5,400 on DraftKings? So, like, that tier of, of guys was really interesting to me this week from a turn of perspective because I think Brandon Ayuk, Mike Evans, and DK Metcalf all have tremendously high ceilings this week. And I just don't know if people from a price point perspective, from a lineup building perspective, are going to get to that tier of wide receiver. Yeah, that's a very, very valid point to make. Um, we can even include all the way down to another guy in this game and DeAndre Hopkins, that like 6K to 7,500 range at wide receiver is probably going to be a little bit underutilized just based on how this this slate is shaping up. So that's a really, really valuable uh, and valuable shout there. Um, the reason why I said that this game environment probably opens up um, from a guy like Mike Evans is we kind of know that the Tennessee Titans are going to utilize Derrick Henry, regardless of matchup, regardless of um, kind of regardless of a lot of things, but they're going to utilize him if the game environment allows them to. Yes. So if the game environment, if the, if the Buccaneers are not putting this game in putting the Titans in catch up mode here, we're probably going to see some, a lot of Derrick Henry running into Vita Vea. Um, and that's just, they're okay with that. They're okay. Shortening games. They're okay. Taking it into the fourth quarter and duking it out there, trying to get the win. Um, so the way that this game environment truly, I think opens up is if Mike Evans connects on a downfield shot early is if this offense is able to exploit some of these zone tendencies from the Titans early. Uh, so I think that you can play a guy like, um, Rashad white, or you can play a guy like um, Deandre Hopkins on their own. But I think if you are playing to this game environment, it has to include a guy like Mike Evans. Yeah. Uh, any thoughts on that? No, I'm, I'm 100% lockstep. I love like even the Hopkins, uh, Evans mini, you don't even have to give, you yep. don't want to get to Will Levis. Uh, other, the other way too, that this game gets there is obviously the Will Levis factor. If he's just as volatile to open the game up and creates his own game script. Cause he is yeah. that kind of archetype. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, thanks. Not for me on the Spears call. Uh, this is a guy who has very few paths to even double digit touches. Yeah. His snaps have been there, but you look at like Derrick Henry's, uh, touch per snap ratio is to the moon away when you're talking, comparing that to Spears. Um, we are already there guys. We didn't even get to talk about the Seattle. Give me your out the door, uh, spiel on DK. Let's not forget that. And then we'll get out of here. Well, just in general, like if, for the Seattle passing game, it's been very meandering. If like, if not now, then when, right? Like this, this commander's yeah. team after the trade of Chase Young and Montez Sweat only pressured Mac Jones on 20% of his dropbacks. Uh, they're just getting flooded on the outside. I mean, you know, we've seen Emmanuel Forbes try to body some bigger, bigger wide receivers before. Yeah, it hasn't that been successful. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and I think, I think from a top-down perspective, the entire Seattle passing game is on board because they're all staggered in pricing. Whether you want to do DK, you want to get to Lockett, you want to get to JSN. 
you you can play Geno. Uh, and then on the flip side, because the commanders have swerved into, I don't know what Eric Bieniemy did to get Ron Rivera to back off of this. Cause this is what got Scott Turner fired, but like they are just throwing the ball like uh, every yeah. down, every down the commanders are just throwing it and they're just creating these awesome game environments. Cause, and obviously I would say awesome and kind of like the Patriots didn't get there, but like they're, they're throwing the ball at the highest rate in the NFL. Uh, they're just, you just want part of commander, the commander scripts, man. Like they're just throwing it around. So there is, and we talk about maybe leverage, like inherent leverage, like uh, at least on FanDuel, it looks like Kenneth Walker is going to be pretty popular. So like, that's where you would get like your yeah. leverage is, you know, betting on the passing game versus the Kenneth Walker side. But I don't know if that's going to hold true because I don't see how anyone could just declare Kenneth Walker chalk. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. For but sure. Seven and a half point or six and a half point home favorite. I can see how they get there. That's going to do it for us for today on Searching for Ceiling, presented by One Week Season and Sharp Football Analysis. As we just put on the screen, smash that like button. Let's get those numbers up. That'll keep us coming back for more. We know that you like it. We're going to continue to provide this type of analysis. With that, he is Rich. I am Hilo. You know where to find us. And until next week, we'll see you at the top of the leaderboards, y'all. One Week Season.